There's no such thing as objective reality. Boy, this is so totally not what this book is about. Cool, let's keep talking <laughs> about the book. Waiting for a break in the rain. Waiting for the moment to change your lane. I came home from the wasteland. Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl. Created out of nothing like a comic book girl. Hey! Who's here today? Just the usual suspects as far as I can tell. Not me. Are you do. doing an accent? Whom? <laughs> yeah, you're definitely doing an accent. <laughs> okay, so... Should we talk about the Animorphs or just talk about stupidity? I actually might need to go get up and stir my beans after... Stir your beans. Half an hour of... Go get the bean stirring then. Parker, he or she, her, and it's a beautiful day outside and I wish only to frolic in the streets like a particle let loose from the accelerator. Hi, my name's Cassandra Kelly. I use she, her pronouns, and I am currently nursing my sourdough starter, trying to get it warm enough to use, which means that I'm sitting with it in my lap with a blanket oh, over it, and then my cute. computer over the blanket, trying to create a warm <laughs> lap for my sourdough starter. You're like a chicken with an egg. <laughs> I am Erzo Rin. I use she, her pronouns. And my fun fact this week is that... Parker is threatening to mail you a package. Yeah, Parker's threatening to mail me Bionicles, I think. Could be anything. We shouldn't talk about... We shouldn't talk about the goods during our class discussion. The goods. She said the goods. Hey, Cassandra, have you ever seen Star Wars? No! Well, we should watch it together. That would be really fun, huh? I've been meaning to watch it, and someone recommended it to me, and if you want to hang out with me and my friend, we could watch Star Wars together. While you all go watch a Star Wars, I'm going to read my cool Animorphs book. I want to figure out a way where I could get the text projected on the inside of my VR thing in like a see-through way so I can still see what's going on around me in VR space, but also be reading the book. That would give me motion sickness. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm immune to motion sickness. I just don't have that part of my inner ear. That's good for you. Yeah. This week we are reading number 37, volume 37 of the Animorphs, The Weakness, narrated by Rachel, who is morphing into a cheetah on the cover aggressively it's really good yeah this is one of my favorite sort of morph transformations on the cover that i've seen recently it's hyper specific right like a cheetah is pretty good at like a few things it's like they already have so many different me too animals for so many different other purposes it's like what are they gonna use a cheetah for oh you know sneaking up on viscer three they should just do this again like i know it failed because of the garatron or whatever the inspector but like they should just try this again right probably would work they got pretty close i was really blown away by the fact that also we didn't get a look into what it's like to be a cheetah in this other than i feel powerful because cheetahs are like notoriously anxious to the point of like giving themselves heart attacks yeah, don't over they have really therapy dogs? yeah a lot of cheetahs and zoos have therapy dogs that's hilarious that's adorable a cheetah in captivity is like an adhd kid in school because like their natural sort of inclination is to like laser focus on like one thing and then go hunt and kill that thing whereas like if they're trapped in a zoo there's too much going on around them and they don't know what to focus on so the therapy dog helps with that can we talk about the actual book instead of cheetah service dog yeah syno synopsis synops yeah i got a hip hop synops synops all right here we go 
While Jake is away for family reasons, Rachel claims leadership of the Animorphs and immediately deploys them, first attempting to kill Visser 3 in his new feeding spot and then rapidly hitting several controller-owned businesses. Rachel rides high on her new role and the success of her tactics, but aggression and insecurity define her leadership as she alienates her fellow savior teens and costs a bystander his life, even as they face a new foe in the Inspector, an ultra-fast Garatron controller. With most of her friend's good graces spent, Rachel commands one final strike, this time against the Sharing's community center but the Animorphs are overpowered and Cassie is captured. The team is at a new low, but they rally around saving Cassie, infiltrate an airport, steal a plane, and crash it into a skyscraper that covers an entrance to the Yerk Pool. Visser 3 and the Inspector are waiting for them, but their mutual animosity allows the Animorphs to kill the Inspector and rescue Cassie. Jake gets back home and Rachel's like, I'm never leading again. <laughs> It's really hard to sort of remember that these are the same book as them crashing a building into a skyscraper. Also... A building into a skyscraper? What? <sighs> oh, look, okay. I haven't had... <laughs> I haven't had my eighth coffee today. I'm flagging Gosh, here. Gosh, I didn't know they did um, that, too. That's exciting. I love when they use their super powerful gorilla morphs to pilot a skyscraper <laughs> through the sky and crash into... In the, in the last Megamorphs book, they found out that they can actually also morph buildings, and so Marco just, like, morphs <laughs> into the Sears Tower and steps on a lesser, weaker skyscraper, obliterating it. Don't talk to me about the Megamorphs unless you've read the Megamorphs, because I'm having extremely powerful emotions about them, and I need to talk to someone about them for real, because I've read very far ahead. Okay, well, maybe I'll do that at some point. That sounds like a you problem. All right, so let's talk about this book, which was basically the opening to the Eric Andre show, but it's Animorphs. <laughs> I don't know anything about Eric Andre. Yeah. He destroys the set before like in the opening of his television show and then like collapses every single into time every single time he destroys the entire set and then he collapses into the one chair that is remaining and stagehands rebuild the set in like maybe like three seconds interesting concept sounds very expensive I don't have a lot of notes. Well, okay, I actually do have a lot of notes for this book, but they're about a specific... I feel like you always say that. You're like, well, I don't have anything to say. Actually, now that I've thought about it, I do have something to no, say. No, okay, so I don't have a lot of notes for this book that aren't a sort of, like, comparative literary analysis of this book, but I think that we can maybe get into that later after we uh, tackle some more things about the plot. Most of the notes that I have are that the Garatron, like, arms are not aerodynamic, and I imagine that the Garatron give it its sort of, like, bicycle helmet-shaped head and, like, streamlined physique is built for speed and is trying to be as aero as possible. And given the arms, the inspector probably runs like a certain uh, orange-clad blonde ninja boy whose name we will not speak. Probably that's what his arms are doing because I feel like that's the best way for them to get out of the way while he's going at, like, three million miles an hour. I'm quitting this class. You're right, but I wish you wouldn't say it. <laughs> okay, next point. <laughs> You all are going to have to carry it from here until Lit Crit Hour opens, uh, and I get to talk about comparative Lit. Didn't you uh, just perform some Lit Crit? Um, Isn't that I what you just did? I have thoughts. The thing is, I read ahead, so I took these notes a while ago, and they don't make a lot of sense <laughs> out of context. <laughs> read them to us verbatim, and we'll try to interpret them. Okay, so I wrote notes for 23. The notes for 37? Shut up, I had a long day of doing absolutely nothing at work. Uh, I, I strongly relate to Rachel's thing about her name being common because there are so many people named a variation on Cassie these days. Quote, shy, compelling kid, unquote. This is so sweet. She loves to buy us so much. Just, ugh, compelling. <laughs> yes. Blah, blah, blah. Rachel's being a yerk phobe again. Yes. Love, I said, I said, I, I said, love Rachel's clothing metaphor and did not 
say what the metaphor was, so I have no memory of it whatsoever. Look, Axe, it's an opportunity. We need opportunities. We don't pick and choose them like they're like they're blouses on a rack. We take the chance, even if it's got a few loose threads or a hole. That's what it was, yeah. It was that one. Thank you. That, mm-hmm. I, I love that you knew immediately. Then I said, yet again, I am feeling soft about Rachel and Tobias. And I said, arg, feelings about Rachel thinking about hubris, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> IDK, what the feelings are, but I'm having them. Oh, she's got a lot of feelings about hubris in this one. Uh, all caps, judge forensic. Her name is forensic. <laughs> it's with a K. There's a K on the end. Yeah, there's a K on the end, so it's... For the, immediately after judge forensic, I wrote, in, also in all caps, comrades, Axe, and Rachel. And then immediately after that, oh, never mind, Rachel is pro-cop figures i was thinking that too they're all very pro cop they're always like oh geez at least the Which police are here so much about that there's some ridiculous copaganda in this book and then i have he he the morphing process is bearable and then rachel God. you can't just be the leader when it's fun if you say you're gonna be the leader you have to also be the leader when it sucks i gave her way too much credit in this book for stuff like that i was like oh she gets that no she doesn't <laughs> Uh, and yet again, we have a mass killing of Yerks with no interest in distinguishing civilians from military personnel. Correct. Also, I note one of the things that's been bothering me for a while. Why do you assume that Cobra Venom will work on an alien? They're not set up like us. I don't think that was an assumption. I think that that was like a last ditch effort. Yeah, I think Still, so too. But they've done it before. They've done it before. They tried to kill Visser 3 with it as well. It did work on Visser 3, to be fair. It did work, but like still. And Garatrons are basically the same thing. They're like Andalites, but fast. <laughs> Gotta go fast. This one, okay, this one actually bugs me, and I do have some theories about this. This is my serious note. Why do people keep ending up in Yerk pools without getting infested? Presumably. Cassie swims through a Yerk pool in the Hork Bajir book that we read a while ago and demorphs and remorphs in one in this book. Also, the Yerks have some sensory perceptions. Would they notice her demorphing into a human form in the pool? Would they be able to tell? And then I also had another serious note about like, oh, the burdens of leadership. And I was genuinely tearing up a little bit at the end where Jake lets Rachel see how scared he is. But the Yerks, okay. Do we have any proof that they didn't get infested while swimming around in Yerk pools, having a lovely little summer vacation in a Yerk pool? Wouldn't they all just die? I've got a hypothetical for you. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's say that you're... So you're, you're going to hibachi restaurant. Let, let's say that you're a human person and you're, you're in a hibachi restaurant when the floor collapses from underneath you and you fall into a yurk pool below the hibachi restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. When you land in the pool, there's only one thing that you could reasonably do and you start activating into your horse morph and you start sort of turning into mm-hmm. a, a horse in the in, in the yurt pool underneath the hibachi restaurant. Now, mm-hmm. imagine that you are not the person, but you are a yurk in the yurk pool. Something lands in your yurk pool and you echolocate over to it only to realize that it is changing shape and size very rapidly. Are you going to try to go get in that ear canal? Okay, so I have two rebuttals here. Number one, if you know that you are fighting these mysterious Andalite bandits and someone falls in a pool and starts morphing, you're going to probably know that that's a mysterious Andalite bandit and you might want to have that tactical advantage as a Yerk on the side of the Yerks to swim into that Yerk canal. Number two, Yerks are squishy. They squish and ooze and slime into your brain. So, like, 
and changing ear canal is probably not the biggest deal in the world, assuming it's not, like, microscopic. Okay, so I guess that my response to both of those points presupposes that yerk senses and yerk echolocation, even in the context of a yerk pool, are not that good. I mean, I think they're good enough to pick up, like, a host. You're, sure, like, it's a large sort of foreign body that isn't a yerk in the pool. But how do you know that the thing that's rapidly changing shape and size isn't about to morph into something that just does not have ears at all? Um, good question. I think... Frankly, I think that like uh, uh, Parker actually just thought frankly. What? <laughs> Awful joke. Never mind. Keep going. I th I think that the, like whoever would be swimming around in the yerk pool would just feel it and like do something about it. <laughs> ah. Because like they have to restrain people whenever they infest them most of the time. It's like it's pretty it's pretty obvious that you're you're feeling it. I don't know. Like they talk about it like not hurting exactly, but like you can. I sort think of it hurts them. for a second. So my response to that, Erso, is that, uh, A, they're literally surrounding you. B, there's a, a lot of them, and they secrete an anesthetic. I think, frankly, if it were to happen, the books would just be over. Like, <laughs> and the Animorphs would have been captured and everything would have gone differently. Well, yes, didn't which is why, right, so it didn't happen for some reason, so... Like, maybe it could have happened, but it didn't. How do we know it didn't happen? See, this is this is the stupid question that I don't, I don't want to deal with, because I think it's a pretty clear hey. that it didn't happen. I mean, it didn't happen. How do we know it didn't happen? We don't know it didn't happen, but we can we can gather that it did not from they told us they told us it didn't happen, or they... they... No, because we're sitting here! Are we? Do we know that we're sitting here? Stop. What if we're in the Matrix? It's making me question everything. I do this constantly. I at least once a week just have to like sit there staring vacantly in a space and thinking about how we will never know objective reality because our senses can't handle it. And like, very pomo. What if it's bad? What if it's really bad? What if we are in the Matrix? I don't know. And then I, I have to go like calm down and do some soothing needlework or something i just like try to take off my vr headset and if it, i'm not wearing my vr headset i'm like oh okay cool i'm experiencing objective reality right now great problem solved hate that there's no such thing as objective reality problem solved <laughs> okay so boy this is so totally not what this book is about cool let's keep talking about the book cassandra you mentioned feeling sappy about tobias and rachel in this book tell us more about that because like my take on this is that their relationship suffers greatly in this book and it's hard to read for I me i don't remember i don't remember because i read it like three or four weeks ago at this point what do you, re what do you just remember notes. parker well tobias objects to the way that she sort of takes control of the group and oh, his yeah. ability to trust her in my read of this is really like genuinely damaged from this whole experience he's unable to sort of voice his support for her leadership in public or in private she kind of looks to him for assurance that she's doing the right thing multiple times and is met with just like total stony silence it's really rough uh i don't know what kind of reconciliation they did after this one but an event like this would damage almost any relationship i mean i, yeah. I don't know i think i think tobias is going through a lot right now in general and they might already have a way of talking through that sort of thing because he's really withdrawn after being you know you cultured. say this the general scope of what we know about how they interact with each other does not necessarily suggest that they do talk to each other very much about anything at all any of them not just these but they two. provide it's not about talking about things necessarily it's about providing providing support okay like, M marco and rachel's talk about things sometimes but tobias and rachel provide like emo emotional support for one another it's not necessarily always about talking sure but Rachel explicitly doesn't get that 
from Tobias in this book. She explicitly, like, reaches towards him for it, and he rejects it. Yeah. I don't that's, doubt that's that. has gotta be rough. I think I was sort of overall throughout the book being like, oh god, this is terrible. And I think the moments where I was saying, like, oh, this is sweet, oh, I'm soft about them, were, like, the few moments that didn't suck. And I was just like, oh good, one good thing. Rachel really just does a number on her relationships with every single yeah. fellow team member <laughs> oh, in this journal. Absolutely. I think that's probably She's what just, the drone wants. And I really relate because I I am so good at self-sabotaging my relationships with other people. So I feel really bad for her, but also, oh my god, get it together, Rachel. Here, so do you know, on page 19, uh, she mentions a Xerox machine. Do you know what this is? No, I assume it's something to do with laundry, but I would not be the expert on this wait where is it oh it's in the tv studio oh so probably not about laundry beats me i mean i guess it, it might just be an old term for television wait is it xerox an old uh, video game console oh is that what it is you know a lot more about that yeah you could uh you could play master chief 3 on that one if i remember correctly um i've never played any of the master chief games how many of them are there at this point uh 12 yeah he's a pretty cool guy <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, I just paged past some of the propaganda, and it's hard to take in. Yeah, I'm glad they left it in. I mean, like, I'm actually kind of not, actually, I rescind that statement, because this is a book for kids, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm glad that they didn't just omit it, you know? Like, the kids do horrible things, and we have to all grapple with that. Okay, so this is the bit that, Cassandra, that you mentioned where uh, where they're comrades. Rachel says, just before we got out, Axe sliced the judge's massive desk into several smaller desks, one for each of her underpaid, overworked staff. Now, that was an act of true yeah. justice. And I'm like, yes, Yeah, absolutely. that was the one where I was like, comrades and then like immediately after yeah two paragraphs later we avoided the police station too many guns even i knew it would be too easy to get killed and none of us wanted the accidental death of a real hard-working human cop on our hands that old guy though what about that old guy she's she's less willing to accept blame for that than she is the potentiality of killing a quote hard-working cop <sighs> all they do is sit in their cars and make up crimes to accuse people of. <sighs> Makeup crimes is my new line. <laughs> makeup crimes. Makeup makeup crimes is my new grunge band. Yeah, uh, they murder a human man by way of heart attack in this one. Is this the first human man that they've murdered? This is the first human man that they've explicitly murdered. Yeah, they've definitely murdered other people. They're like, ah, uh, I, <laughs> I threw him on the ground and he stayed there. I punched him in the <laughs> head and he was knocked unconscious. <laughs> and then I threw him into a dumpster with all of my gorilla force. <laughs> I'm Spider-Man. Is it time for me to talk about comparative literature? <sighs> Here, hold on. Let me just send you all this beautiful emoji that we now have available to us to convey how I feel about your comparative literature. So this isn't comparative lit. That's the wrong term. I'm not a humanity student. I'm in pre-med. Uh, I read this book on the same day that for another reading group that I'm in, I read Che Guevara's Guerrilla War, A Method. And Ooh. honestly, I really recommend reading the two of these together as companion texts. Rachel is using a lot of the tactics that Che talks about in this book in, in Guerrilla War, A Method. He says at one point, I feel, and I feel like this... This sort of sums up Rachel's whole deal. Guerrilla fighting, though at a given moment it may be a defensive movement of the people, carries within itself the capacity to attack the enemy and must constantly develop it. Right? That's this whole book. You know, Rachel's sort of tactic as soon as she's in leadership mode is like, all right, strike hard, strike fast, strike often, choose the timing and location of the fights, 
and retreat to a secure base once the fighting is over. Like, I mean, Rachel's is... not stupid. She's, like, really good at what she does. She's Just very like, good she's not... at this specific form of battle. Yeah. Like, Shay says, as long as one is in a position to choose the how and the when, no battle should be fought which will not end in victory, and that's where Rachel's whole strategy falls apart at the end when they attack the sharing community center. Like, she got to pick those things, but she didn't spend enough time ensuring... Like, all of the, like, it, I don't know, what I don't remember what exactly Marco tells her. There's just way too many variables. Like, the reason that all these, like, complicated missions that Jake has them go on all succeed is because, like, they at least do a little scouting first. Obviously, you know, this, this book is a sort of chronicle of the further deterioration of uh, Rachel's relationship with Marco. Chapter 15, Marco says, Cause I don't know if a macho warrior like you wants to be talking to me. I'm the one who thinks too much. I'm the boring one with the Hamlet complex. The one who says, Gee, Rachel, don't you think we should take a look first, investigate, prepare, you know, before we march at a certain death? God, I love him so much. Yeah, he's... Things would have been fine if she had listened to Marco, but that's that's the thing where she didn't spend enough time before that final attack analyzing the angles and stuff like that because... By way of the tactics that she's using, that this should have been a win. This should have been a victory. This should have been a huge victory, frankly. Although, I, I honestly, I still don't think that there's much value in them killing Visser 3. It, it seems more personal now than anything else for them, especially with, like, Axe and Elfangor and everything. And, like, there's just going to be another baddie that pops up, and they've said that. Like, what's the value in it? <laughs> That's true. That also could, hypothetically, you could look at Shay to illuminate that. Like, Shay says the guerrilla warfare is, first and foremost, like a means to the end, uh, a means to the end of gaining political power. But also, he says it must always be remembered that the final outcome should be the annihilation of the enemy. Like, Shay places a lot of emphasis in the fact that, like, if you're going to do guerrilla warfare, you need to keep in mind that you are going to need to sort of build this thing to a point where you absolutely destroy your enemy in every conceivable way, shape, and form. Which is part of the reason that I think a lot of the things that you, Cassandra, object to about how they fight the Yerks are uh, probably fine, because by this metric... War crimes are not fine! You can't just go kill civilians just because... Think about... But think about the context... It doesn't make it any better. Think about the context that they're operating under. Also, I would argue that Yerks on Earth, regardless of how they got there or their position in the Yerkish military hierarchy, are less civilians than they are colonizers. We just, we've had this argument so many, AFTRAN, we know there's an entire Yerk peace movement. There are conscientious objectors, there are moles, there are saboteurs, there are so many Yerks there who don't want to be there and who don't want to be invading Earth. And they are in the pools mixed in with all of the other Yerks. Like, I know you're like, oh, Cassandra's like, hashtag, not all Yerks. Ooh. But like, <laughs> we see that it is actually not all Yerks because an empire is bad for everyone. Like, I get it. You know, I, I do think that the even the like most pacifist Yerks do have some culpability, but not enough to deserve to die for it. Mm, I don't know. I, I will agree that we've had this <laughs> conversation a number of times. Um... And you're still wrong. Parker's not sure about that last anyway, one. Anyway, I was actually going to make an interesting comparative literature point before you brought up the recurring argument. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, let's, let's, let's put that aside and you could hear. Let's, let's hear it. I want to hear it. I was just going to say, has anyone read Ender's Game? Because, uh, like, Ender's Game sucks, don't get me wrong. I was going to say, is it that but... by that guy who is bad? Yes, he is awful. Orson Scott Card is terrible. Ender's Game, I will admit that the first Ender's Game book is, like, enjoyable. I really loved it as a kid before I knew about Orson Scott Card. 
I just, I never bothered to, like, look him up. It didn't occur to me. And then later I looked him up. I was like, oh, he's terrible. Um, Before we go any more in our comparative lit discussion, especially considering that man, whatever his name is, or Scott Card. um, Do we believe in death of the author here in this, in this sanctuary? (laughs) Is this a death Um, of the author? I mean, in terms of the Animorphs, they are literally dead. They are literally dead. Yes, I'm talking about literature and not... Well, but yes, this so isn't general, literature, though. Okay, my my personal stance. I, I'm sorry, I said comparative lit at any point because this isn't literature. <laughs> Can like, I finish a sentence for once today? I know. I'm just I'm just objecting to the terminology that's being used that I introduced because I'm bad at this. Okay, so I don't get to finish sentence. Okay, today. but now you get to finish your sentence. So my personal stance on death of the author is, in general, yes, I am pro death of the author. Um, however, I do think that the author should somewhat be taken into consideration, especially in cases where outside knowledge you have of them outside of their writing does like very heavily affect how to read their writing. For example, like knowing that JK Rowling is a transphobe, especially a trans misogynist really changes how you read the character of Dolores Umbridge, for example. And Orson Scott Card being a huge homophobe, does really change how you read a lot of the later books. Also, him being, like, super religious changes how you read a lot of the later books. So I do think it's important, but that also, like, if you get something out of a book that isn't what the author intended to be there, like, get the thing out of it. Steal steal it with your little gay hands and run. That's my thought. What I wanted to say was that what you're talking about really reminded me a lot of Ender's Game. And I do have a point that I'm making with this. It's not just, ooh, I really liked Ender's Game as a kid. No, 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 go off. So you were talking about like how when you're fighting an uneven war you have to want to like completely annihilate your enemy so in ender's game ender is like a small nerdy kid who gets beat up because he's a small nerdy kid i can relate this is a giant spoiler for ender's game and so he realizes at a very very young age because he's very very smart and very sort of like a, a military thinker that if he wants to get people to stop beating him up, he has to beat them up, but he can't just beat them up. He has to beat them up so badly that they will never try to hurt him again. But so he actually beats a kid badly enough that he kills the kid. He doesn't know. No one tells him he killed the kid. Um, he finds out much, much later that he killed the child. So the point is that his philosophy again and again is that you don't just want to win the fight that you're in you want to win the hypothetical next fight by making sure it never even happens by hurting them so badly but he's ender spends the rest of his life horribly horribly regretting that that was his strategy and i i got real long-winded about it that's the point i'm trying to make is that that's it's it's bad don't do that stuff my only rebuttal is that a these kids are teens so Zender, that's the point that I'm making. It's, B, it's comparable because they're in the same age range. B, this actually happened. Or Zender game did not. Um, I think it's like a a real phenomenon and a real like I I do think that that's very much a real thing that happens to people. I just don't read a lot of nonfiction, so I have not read like besides this like memoirs of child soldiers or whatever. So C, Ender's not to blame. It's the structure around him that sort of hoodwinks him into... Yeah, so it's even worse for the Animorphs. Are the circumstances surrounding someone doing stuff like that and that method of survival always going to be that, like, someone innocent ends up getting hurt? Like, isn't that just how to, sort of how it works? And is that 
like an arguable case for maintaining that style of guerrilla warfare would be my my question to you parker i mean definitely in the context of shay's writing shay's writing in the context of uh u.s sort of imperialism in central and latin america and he's sort of looking at real world political situations wherein the alternative to uh eradicating a hostile outside force is subsumation and death like there isn't really another way around that there isn't really another sort of end result if you don't manage to make the place that you're in as hostile as possible for the people who are coming in to like exploit you and kill you then they will just kill you which i would say is also the case in 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 the context of the edamorphs like the end game here for them is either the yurks are driven away or annihilated or earth as we know it is effectively over uh and the yurks gain a massive advantage in the sort of like intergalactic scale of their uh their conflict also i think there's a big difference between just making earth hostile to yurks and literally annihilating the entire Yerk empire and it sounds like sometimes you're sort of equating those and i think that's making it a little unclear i guess yeah that's a good point and i think that mm, it's hard to say whether or not their focus is on eliminating the entire Yerk empire because the andalites are drawing them into that sort of greater galactic conflict like, I would say that there's a certain point, I wouldn't, I, I don't necessarily know if I can identify it within the course of the journals, but there's a certain point where I feel like this stops being exclusively about the protection of Earth and becomes about fighting the Yurk Empire and fighting the entire sort of, like, species that is the Yurks. I do think a lot of it is very, very Earth-centric, though. That's their starting because... point, yeah. Yeah, exactly, but what I mean is... Their, their ultimate goal, and it's really easy to lose sight of this because it's not always on page. Their ultimate goal is essentially they are trying to cost the Yerks as much resources and time as possible and delay their full takeover of Earth, of Earth as long as possible because they are holding out for the Andalites to come and save them. Which, as we will soon see, has some problems uh, with that yes. concept. Yes. I have not reread Journal 38 yet, but I do know what happens in it because it made quite an impression on me as a youth when I read it. I think there are three things to distinguish between here. Number one, making Earth not safe for a year. Not safe for work. Not safe for a year. Okay, <laughs> NSFY. So, yeah. So <laughs> I think there are three things that we need to distinguish between here. Making Earth NSFY. Eliminating the Yerk Empire eliminating all yerks all of those are three different things yes yes very very well put i'm on fire i'm so smart tonight the other thing is like we don't know how successful other options would be but we do know there are other options we have aftran who became a nothlet as a whale and is like chilling in the ocean we know that there are yerks who are peaceful we know that there are yerks who share with their host bodies like equally and don't take control or like only take control when they have to in emergencies like to pretend that they're you know, involuntary controllers or whatever. I would argue that that's up for debate, but I I don't think it's worth spending time on that right now. I mean, we had that whole book where Cassie morphed a Yerk and went into that guy's brain and, like, he didn't have a Yerk in his Mr. brain. Tidwell. He could have said, it's not actually voluntary. I was being controlled and faking the whole time. Right, but... Yeah, I don't think that there's an argument, like, given things that happen in... I don't want to offer too much off of future knowledge, but um, I don't think that's up for debate. <laughs> 
suck it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I mean, it's not. Like, I love and appreciate you very much, but I have read all 54. Yes, yes, I understand. I still want to reference, like, all these things. Uh, I want to reference stuff that happens. Is why How do you think head. I feel? No one uses fax machines, but call, you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. Piled in the closet, broken toys. I have... One last thing to say about Che Guevara in the context of the Animorphs. Oh my God. Um, Go on. Okay, so there's a passage on page 18 of Guerrilla War Method that I think really gets at the heart of what we have been seeing in reading an account of a guerrilla war and the sort of toll that that takes upon its participants. And also that I think highlights another sort of vulnerability in Rachel's Kill em All That God is sort of about absolute aggression, attack, attack, attack sort of methodology in this book. On page 18, she describes the state of constant wariness and constant threat that the guerrillas live under. And he ends with, that is why it is said that to be on the march is also a form of fighting, and to avoid combat at a given moment is another form. Like, Rachel doesn't get that. Rachel only thinks yeah. that they're fighting the Yerks if they are going out and bashing some heads bashing some heads or destroying some property which like granted rachel go ahead do some property destruction that rules just i guess don't cause old men fight to have heart man. attacks fight the man except for the man you gave a heart attack to don't fight him but rachel doesn't quite understand that like just staying alive in their case is an act of resistance and that's something that i would hope mm -hmm. that she learns or gets some perspective on at the end of this journal that's something I think about a lot, like staying alive as a form of resistance, especially in the current political climate and pandemic, being a disabled person and with all of the current discourse about like herd immunity and knowing that I am one of the people that a lot of society views as expendable and like someone that they're willing to have just die for the sake of society. The, the concept of like staying alive as an act of resistance has been on my mind a lot lately. And I think it's yep. applicable to a lot of minorities as well, like... I'm white, so I know it's even, like, worse for people of color, because they've been even more affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, I see it, I see it thrown around a lot in queer communities as well. Mm. I just wanted, like, I feel like an important distinction to be made, of course, is between staying alive and resisting the Yerk Empire and the Yerks themselves. Like, they're not... Mm. Like, their war isn't on the species itself and i think that's an important distinction to make i think that guerrilla war tactics can be used by the animorphs with an aggressive slant like rachel's doing here but not one that puts like everyone at risk but one that like the yurks are fine losing tons and tons of members of their species like hundreds of thousands if it means it'll get them like an advantage for the empire so i don't even think that's like an effective way of doing things and granted that a lot of the yurks who are dying are part of some kind of resistance or otherwise not culpable for the actions of the empire they need to figure out ways to hurt the empire itself and it's not always just going to be like going after their big baddie you know like yeah viscer three is not the problem i wonder if that kind of sort of action against the empire as a political construct is even something that's available to them i think that they do it a lot of the time by stymieing their efforts but when like their efforts to do new things but when they strike back against the yurks it needs to be like more practical the things that affect the empire not just like 
the individual Yerks who may happen to be in the Yerk blood at any given time. I think that there's a lot of ripe discussion to be had about the sort of goalposts that they're operating on, whether that's like defense of a planet versus the obstruction and eventual destruction of a political power to genocide. And I think we'll get into that more in the near future. All I'm going to say is I think that we will get into the sort of scope of that conflict and what each of those sort of eventual goals mean for the Animorphs in the very near future. Yeah, because it's like, you know, keeping Yerks off Earth, probably cool. You know, as long, you know, maybe letting some cool ones down, but like, you know, keeping, keeping crappy Yerks off Earth, cool. Dismantling an empire, great. I love dismantling empires. Genocide, you know, <sighs> that's where you lose me. Yeah. You, you lose me there a little bit. I mean, having grown up in an American empire. I would love to dismantle that. Yeah, like, what is their reference point for defense, self-defense, and also the destabilization of bad governments like are they gonna do a coup are they gonna like are they gonna go like i don't know the uh, america has a awful 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 history of doing extremely horrible things to other countries including yeah like what gives them the right to interfere politically they're so biased by their american upbringing because they're victims yeah, I think they're victims, but, yeah, but I'm just like I, I just think that there's a lot of like it's going to be complicated to what extent they do like what's their frame in of that reference? situation. Well, their frame of reference is super bad. That's what I'm exactly. trying to say. That's what I mean. Is that like it, I think it comes down to what they actually do end up doing in the moment. And so far, they've been really really good at rationalizing away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing the yep. right thing. Yep. <laughs> I think they're reacting emotionally and then justifying it later. Well, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's good. Like, sometimes they're totally right and it's fine. And sometimes, mm, Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the way emotional reactions work. Yeah. Like. But it's a little bit of a different scale when you're, you know, killing people versus, like, should I buy that shirt or not? According to Rachel, it isn't. <laughs> True. <laughs> Speaking of buying a shirt or whether or not you should buy a shirt, Shay quotes the the second declaration of Havana. He quotes, uh, We consider that the Cuban Revolution made three fundamental contributions to the laws of the revolutionary movement in the current situation in America. So, like, granted, several decades before this, but, like, three principles that I think are important to keep in mind. They are, firstly, people's forces can win a war against the army, the sort of underlying hope of the Animorphs, right? The idea that, like, mm-hmm. a small group can hypothetically make a difference. Second, and this is the uh, this is the critical one, I think, in this context. We need not always wait for all the revolutionary conditions to be present. The insurrection itself could create them. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, in the underdeveloped parts of America, the battleground for armed struggle should, in the main, be the countryside. Which, like, granted, it's just in the areas that they're in. They're just messing up their own town. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. <laughs> things. But I think that that second one, that like that like they could create the the conditions necessary for revolution. I find that a compelling argument. I I think the fact that within that context. The fact that they may have been persuaded to draw the conflict out of the scope of defense and maybe more leading towards the whole genocide thing, which, again, I think we can all agree, genocide bad. Yes. I think that that... It's not something to agree upon. (laughs) Right. I think that that means less when you consider that they are the engineers of this conflict and that they need to act. And that even if they don't necessarily have everything set up ideologically, they can create the conditions to make a difference 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just thinking about beans. Go stir your beans. I'm hungry. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Intense. Erso, did you have any more points? Yes. Okay. Do you want to talk about it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. So what what do we think is the weakness? Hubris. In title? Yeah. What exactly is like the weakness? Because I mean, it could be Jake. It could be all of them together failing to become a coherent group without Jake uh, or it could just be Rachel I think it's arrogance I think it's hubris I think it's that notion of the warrior king that she keeps bringing up right yeah <laughs> I did cringe a little bit every time she said that yeah like she's not in a space to sort of understand that that's not an accurate reflection of reality and like how leadership works or what leadership even is I think it's all of them personally because I don't know I think they're still I think they're responsible for one another hmm. yeah they are a weird flat democracy. So they all have to take accountability, personally. I think it's funny to dunk on Jake when he's not even here, but like... <laughs> I wrote, war crimes abound. Yup. Yup. So considering this is what happened when Jake is gone for like a day, how long do we think that the Animorphs would have survived in this whole thing if uh, literally anything had been different up until this point? So there's actually this really long, epic, historical fanfiction account that I have not read, but I have seen it bandied about. I read this recently, which is part of why I'm thinking about it. <laughs> oh, wait, have you read this fanfic I'm talking about where it's Tom? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Whoa. I was thinking about... I was talking about okay. the Megamorphs. This is cool. No, no. Okay. Wait, so so there's this, like, historical real-person fiction fanfiction that I have not read yet because it is very long and I... I am lazy and also i don't really like reading rpf because it kind of creeps me out yeah but it's speculating what would happen if i think if i remember correctly it's a speculating what would happen if jake was infested and tom was not and tom Ooh. like walked the kids home from the mall and tom was the leader of the animorphs oh fascinating that's really really i would like to read that <laughs> zoinks People have speculated a lot what would happen if someone else led the Animorphs, like Jake wasn't involved, whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, definitely would be very different. Like, what if Cassie was the quote-unquote leader? Like, would they have made it, though? Like, or is this the, like, perfect set of people to be able to deal with this situation? Yeah, and in the perfect configuration. It's a good question. I don't know. It just, because it's like, they experiment a little bit, and they get David in, and that goes kablooey. And then Jake is gone for, like, a day. I think that was more about David than anything else i think both both of those examples it's more about like david and rachel yeah yeah anyways that's that's the important thing i had to say we can stop it now if you want uh next week we are reading animorphs volume 38 the arrival narrated by axe who's turning into tobias on the cover wait he's not turning into tobias he's (laughs) he's not turning into tobias he's turning turning into into like a peregrine falcon no this is a red tail talk didn't we have this argument before yeah it isn't it is a peregrine falcon it's actually turning into a peregrine falcon (laughs) i did it again at least this time i wasn't no i think that's no but ospreys have more i'm literally giving you guys like one more minute before i just leave (laughs) uh at least i didn't confuse two human children this time um (laughs) anyway until next time thank y'all for bearing with me while (laughs) i bear talk a lot about Che Guevara. Uh, I, uh, I hope you guys are well, and I hope that you and everyone, uh, I hope that you stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Stay safe. Bye. <laughs> Bye. The Morph Report is on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we are paying someone to transcribe all of our episodes. We have a variety of tiers to choose from. Some of our tiers have some pretty juicy rewards. For example, 
If you pay enough money, you can even force us to watch the TV show and potentially read the other series by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant, Everworld. We would really love it if you would check us out and consider supporting us. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You could follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Podmorphs, tweet at us or send us an email, and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. love the Animorph series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.